Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years, and we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just gonna be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. Has Jay Powell doused the rally? Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, November 8, 2023. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by Warren Pies, co-founder of 314 Research. Warren, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Warren, I teased it a little bit at the top of the show. Obviously, we got a little bit of news flow. Uh, let me just catch folks up here a little bit and see, sort of tee it up. Uh, and this is a quote directly from Jay Powell, quote, the Federal Open Markets Committee is committed to achieving a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to bring down inflation to 2% over time. We are not confident that we have achieved such a stance. If it becomes appropriate to tighten policy further, we will not hesitate to do so. We will continue to move carefully, however, allowing us to address both the risk of being misled by a few good months of data and the risks of over-tightening. Here's what's happened after that bit of uh, suasion from the chair of the Fed. We got the Dow off about, uh, uh, call it a little over half a percentage point, S&P 500 trading right now uh, at the end of the day at close, 4,347 off about eight-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ off almost a full percentage point uh, down to 13,521. Russell 2000 taking the worst beating off over one and a half percent to 1,000. 686. We got some moves on the 10-year Treasury, yields jumping about 13 basis points. Warren, that's the backdrop on this day from commentary from Jay Powell. What's your thoughts, big picture? Where do you think we are right now? Well, I think it's um, big picture, all one big trade, and rates are driving uh, everything. They're driving everything. They drove the uh, the sell-off in Q3. They've driven the rally that we saw post-Treasury uh, QRA announcement. And I kind of think that's the regime we're going to be in for a, a little bit here. Um, and you started the show by saying that did Powell douse the rally? And I, I would I would wonder if we could add in, did Yellen douse the rally today? And was that, was that really the cause? Because I think it's really about 
the treasury auction that didn't go so well today and the fact that this Warren, is explain that explain that jump in and give us a little detail about that for people who aren't following the bond market as closely as you are well i mean that the big picture on the bond market is that there is a lot of issuance and that's what i think you really need to go back to we, we had an auction today uh it there veteran bond watchers people who watch the bond market more closely than i do get detailed into the auction results and we've tried to model this before a little bit at 314 and traditionally auctions are kind of unless you're trading a specific bond issuance before and after that auction and and doing things that frank quite frankly us and our clients are doing then they don't really make it onto your radar screen but in this new era i think things like last week's QRA announcement from the Treasury and today's huge 30-year bond auction, which I don't know if you're grading it, you could grade it as a D because at least it cleared, but by almost every metric that any bond veteran follows, it was a poor uh, auction. That we There was uh, you know really just a lack of demand and dealers took down a big part of it and however you want to slice it. And I just think that's the near term. That's the news of the day. But the real story is what the Treasury said last week, which is we have a huge funding hole uh, about in our estimate at, at 314 Research is about $2.5 trillion annually as long as QT is going on that the Treasury has to fill. And last week, Yellen said we're going to fill that hole with about 43% coupons. So that's long-term debt that pays a coupon. That's a pretty low number. Historically, we can get into that. And hey, that, well, that well, we're talking about detail. just that, let's bring up those charts. Cause I think one of the great things about having you on today, Warren, is that you can talk about what's happening in the news cycle, but you have a longer form, uh, detailed thesis about what's been happening on a longer term basis. Let's bring up those charts. We've got two good ones, uh, that refer, I think exactly to the points you're making. There we go. Yeah, so this is uh, really setting the table exactly what I was talking about. So this is this is the the what's the big picture that's sitting on top of us where you can get down into lose yourself in the details of an individual bond auction that didn't go well. But the big picture is this chart right here. This is total treasury debt not held by the Fed. So you can call it private sector treasury debt held and how much it's increased over the years and how much we see it increase going increasing going forward and whenever the fed does qt where they allow their balance sheet to uh bonds to roll off their balance sheet it's putting pressure back onto the rest of the private sector so it's putting pressure onto the banks onto pension funds onto foreign governments onto hedge funds onto households these are the people that have to pick up the slack when the Fed does QT, which is $720 billion a year of an additional hole on top of the deficit that we're running and the United States uh, on the fiscal side. So this is a huge hole. And this is what Yellen is charged with covering. She has to navigate this, this world and decide how many bonds are, is she going to issue? How many bills is she going to issue? What's the auction size going to be at different tenors and things like that? It becomes a much more interesting uh, world for the Treasury uh, in, once the Fed steps out of the bond market and you have this kind of a deficit to, to, to fill. And so, as I said, our estimate is 2.5 trillion whole over the next 12 months. And uh, as long as the Fed's doing QT, you go by CBO numbers, anything like, uh, even any official number, that looks to be about right, 2.5 trillion. Brian, if we can go back to the prior chart. Uh, so yeah, that one. So what you see on the top there uh, is the total private sector treasury debt. And then what you see at the bottom is your analysis, your estimation of the hole, essentially, uh, that treasury has to fill 
And you can obviously see what the trend looks like there uh, going back to uh, call it about 2021, the beginning of the uh, unwind of QE. Right. In the top chart, the top clip is the stock of debt. So we have by you know we we're going to hit 24 trillion of treasury debt held by not the non-fed treasury debt that's what the top clip showing and the bottom clip is kind of a flow so it's stock on the top how big is the pie and then how is that pie going to grow and i think that the number just to spin it forward and to play into what happened in markets today and what really matters is how much that we're looking at total non-fed debt issuance the real issue is how much non-Fed coupon issuance will the Treasury try to push into the market next year and in the years that follow? I think that's the number. That was the number last week that the Treasury announced that sounded pretty low, honestly, uh, and allowed this relief rally. And then today's huge 30-year bond auction that didn't go well kind of pulled that issue back into the market's psyche right. and reminded us all that yeah, we got a reprieve last week. The uh, Yellen basically said, "Okay, we're not we're not going to put the max pressure on the bond market, but there's still a lot of issuance. I don't think this issue is going away." Is the bottom line. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Warren, that's uh, so well said. And obviously, these are complicated questions that we're sorting out here. Brian, if we go back to the first chart, let me tell you how I think about this. And it's kind of just a kind of a mental trick that I use to explain it to myself and when people ask me. So I, I think of when you, you mentioned stocks and flows, which I think is probably one of the most important concepts uh, in economics, it can sound a little bit complicated to folks who are new to it. But a really simple way to think about this is if you just imagine a bathtub, the level of the water in the bathtub is your stock. The faucet is your inflow the drain is your outflow what you're looking at there is the level of water in the tub that's the total debt outstanding that's the purple line you see on the top of the chart uh, and the bottom line what you see is the inflow of new debt into the system so that's essentially the rate at which the bathtub is filling up that's what you got on top yeah it's a, it's a great way of, of mentally picturing it and i would agree with it it's just uh we're, we're filling that bathtub up right now and it's going to keep we're going to keep pushing water into it to use your analogy over the next few years. I don't see any way out of it. So yeah, and like a and like a bathtub, this is a bit of a stretch on the metaphor, but like a bathtub, uh, you know, when there's an inch of water in the bathtub or when there's six inches of water in the bathtub, maybe you don't notice it, but you darn well do notice it when the bathtub overflows. <laughs> exactly. It's spilling out onto the floor right now. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the second chart, Brian, because this talks about uh the uh the coupon issuance, the, the debt mix. Warren, talk a little bit about this. Explain uh, these bills versus coupons. This is, a, this is about the, the nature of the debt structure itself, the terms, uh, the term, the tenor, uh, and whether they're uh, 
interest bearing or non-interest bearing. Right. Any any kind of uh, debt to treasury issues that's uh, 12 months or less is a bill. And so that's by, by definition, there doesn't pay a coupon. It just matures at par. And that's kind of why we say coupon versus bill, because everything else pays a coupon interest payment. And so right. that's just- By the way, if you're wondering how that works, uh, how you could get something that doesn't pay a coupon, it's because it's issued as a discount on face. So if you get, if it's like you buy something that's worth a buck, for 98 cents, you redeem it at the end for the dollar. That's how you essentially simulate a coupon payment without paying out a periodic rate of interest. Precisely, and, and so we, it's a shorthand way when we talk about coupon issuance of getting that duration. And in our view at 314, the thing that I've said to clients for years, really going back to the years ago when QE started after, after uh, COVID is that our view of QE and QT now is that it works through the duration channel that you're either pulling duration out of the market via QE or you're potentially pushing duration into the market via QT. I mean, a lot of people looked at this Fed balance sheet operate, these Fed balance sheet operations and focused on reserves and liquidity and things like that. And I think that side of it is overstated as far as an impact on assets. But from my point of view, whether you're if you're pulling duration out of the market, you're pulling down risk premiums, you're, you're bidding up assets in general. If you're pushing duration into the market, then you're doing the exact opposite effect. You're, you're causing risk premiums to blow out and you're discounting uh, risk assets. And so if you keep that kind of framework in mind, that all the most important factor here in Fed balance sheet policy is duration, then we want to look at coupon issuance because when we start doing QT where the Fed is letting the balance sheet shrink and bonds roll off their balance sheet, it passes the baton back over to the Treasury. And the Treasury now gets to make the decision whether they actually push duration into the market. So just to reiterate, there's $720 billion rolling off the Fed's balance sheet every year due to QT. Janet Yellen and the Treasury could at this point decide to either uh, issue a bunch of bills, short-term debt, which wouldn't have much impact on the duration channel we're talking about, or they could decide to fill it all back up with duration coupon issuance. And so that goes to this chart. It goes back to what happened last week, where ultimately the Treasury announced this funding split that they saw going forward. And their funding split was uh, 43% uh, coupons, 57% uh, bills, which is actually a historically low number of, of percentage of coupons, which is why, in our view, the market rallied. Why you saw long bonds yields come down, you saw asset markets, which have been selling off, begin to rally because that was the Treasury saying we're not going to put the pressure on the uh, on in that duration channel. But you can see if we go back to that chart for just a, a moment, um, you can see that. Even with this treasury backing off, and, and they've been trying to hold back duration, that num that non-Fed coupon debt is creeping higher. And so to me, that's the number, and, and that goes back to today, like what does that look like in reality? It looks like much larger auctions over time that have a bigger, ch a larger chance of going belly up like the 30 year today. So that's how you take that, what is all this, arcane academic teaback funding stuff what does it look like in reality when it causes stock market to sell off it looks a lot like today that's what that's what happened today is that the, the market had a hard time digesting a big 
sluggish supply. And if you're an equity investor, you got to look out and say, there'll be more days like this, more likely than not. Yeah, Warren, that's so well said. And, and thank you for bringing it back uh, to equity markets. Talking of which, I want to pivot to the third chart here. Because uh, I know when folks are listening to this, they may say, well, listen, this is really interesting, but I don't really follow the institutional stuff. I don't really follow fixed income. Let me show you why this all matters to you if you're interested in equity markets. And this is just an incredible chart. Uh, this is the 10-year treasury versus market breadth chart. Let me just give you a little bit of information uh, if you're if you're relatively new to this stuff. Uh, so you got the NASDAQ 100. These are the largest cap stocks in the NASDAQ up on a year-to-date basis 39.8%, call it 40%, NASDAQ 100 up on a year-to-date basis, nearly 40%. S&P 500 year-to-date basis up a little under 14%. Here's the killer. Here's the thing that should make you question what you think about these markets. S&P 500 equal weight index down over 1.5% on a year-to-date basis. That sets this up brilliantly here to talk about what's happening in terms of market breadth. Yeah, so this chart was uh, one of ours from a recent report, and it and we're basically trying to understand what's driving the market. And just like you said, there's been it's been a tale of two markets where you have mega cap tech causing broad indices to do one thing, and then under the surface, things like equal weighted S&P, Russell 2000 moving a different direction. And so I think that detecting um, market breadth and how it moves is really important to telling us what's driving the market at any given time. And so this chart goes back to what I think was really a tale of two markets. So we had early June when the May jobs report came out, which was a plus 300,000 jobs report. That's the first red vertical line that we got there. And that report came out, the market rejoiced because it said, you know what, there's no recession coming in 2023. We can bid up not just the big cap tech stocks, but everything. And so on the bottom clip, that's the percentage of stocks above the 200-day. That number ramped higher. The market ramped higher. We peaked at the end of July at like 4,600 on the S&P 500, but we had broad participation at that point. The, the rally looked legitimate um, with when it came to, uh, when you look at it on a breadth perspective. Then we had this treasury issue come into play. That was the, fir the first time we saw the market really pay attention to that was back in the end of July, beginning of August for Q3, Q4 funding announcements. And I'll, I'll leave that for right now. But then we got another September, back in September, we, or we had another jobs report that was positive. We had an initial blip in breadth, but that faded. And what we've really seen since that time is that economic data is not driving the market. It's not driving breadth. What's driving breadth at this point are rates. And what's driving rates is all this issuance stuff that we talked about for the first 15 minutes of the show. So you're going to have to honestly be, I think, in, get into the weeds on the bond market and this issuance stuff if you want to have an idea of what's really driving the markets, what's really driving breadth. Uh, and what's going to, if, if you're, if you're in the markets, you need to, I think, and you want to see, uh, new highs or hit the highs from earlier this year, you need the breadth to expand. You need more than just those top seven stocks to participate in order to have that, at least in recent history, that means you're going to need rates to calm down. And so that's why a day like today, when you have a bad bond auction and rates spike, is so important, I think, to this regime that we're in. It's it's all one big trade right now. 
so so important, such an important point, understanding the integration of what's happening in a holistic way, monetary policy, fiscal policy, fixed income, stocks, it's all connected. Talking of which, I wanted to take a look at a conversation between Alex Campbell and Andreas Steno Larson uh, here on the Real Vision platform that aired yesterday that talks about the 60-40 portfolio split. We're going to get your analysis on that when we return, uh, if we could take a look at that. Yeah, I think the 60-40 portfolio will be okay after this after this rip. I think people aren't counting how many, what I say is like how many bonds are in the stocks, right? There's bonds in the real estate, there's bonds in the banks, there's bonds in the stocks, and the bonds just got murdered, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so, you know, yes, Powell could go to seven and treasuries could go to seven. You might lose another 200 basis points, but it's probably not going to 10. You know what I mean? It's It, it can't really go to 10 without the whole thing exploding. So. You know, I think at a certain point, bonds are going to be a great buy. I don't, I, I don't know if they're as much of a buy as maybe other people because I'm like a little bearish because of this inflation and conflict team. But um, I think that, you know, what you really saw as a challenge to people wasn't even necessarily 60-40. It was risk parity. Mm -hmm. The last two years was a huge challenge for risk parity because risk parity is essentially the idea of you have too many stocks, you need to go buy up more bonds and lever them, right? And how did lever bonds do just now? Not that good. So, you know, you have this kind of dynamic where even in beta portfolios, investor psychology in and out of these themes really drives a lot of this. Alex Campbell there with Andreas Steno Larson. Maybe the most important point that he makes during that clip, uh, Warren, maybe the first sentence, I think the 60-40 portfolio will be okay after this rip. Any thoughts or are you a little more skeptical? I'm more skeptical. Um, you know, there's a, a nice little debate that's... Uh, kind of takes place is the 60-40 dead. And there seems to trigger a lot of people when you say the 60-40 is dead. So instead, what I'd say is the negative stock bond correlation that's been with us from 1998 to 2021 is dead. And that's going to increase the volatility and drawdowns of a 60-40 portfolio. That would be the way I'd say it to, to trigger fewer people. Um, but that is a long-winded way of saying the 60-40 portfolio is dead. And so that's that's my my take on it. Uh, he's right. There are bonds in the stocks. That's just another way of saying these things are going to move together, that bonds control asset markets. Uh, and that's going to be the 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 way the that that markets work uh, for the foreseeable future until we bring a recession into into the um, into view. And at that point, you'll see more of a bonds cushion stocks. But until then, bonds are going to push stocks around. It'll feel good when they when when rates go down, bonds are going to rally and stocks are going to rally together. But that's not the kind of price action you should be really be celebrating if you're a traditional 60-40 investor. The, you you want a low correlation world, not a high correlation world. And, and that's the point we've been making. And and I think the price action of second half of 2023 has really uh, confirmed that view of ours. And by the way, that thesis, if it plays out, is precisely why retail investors need to understand the points that Mr. Warren Pies is making here about these correlations between fixed income uh, and U.S. equity markets and the broader uh, macro uh, thesis, which involves not just the monetary policy aspect of it, but also the fiscal side. That's why all this matters so very much. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Warren, we've got a lot of questions uh, coming into us. You want to jump in and start grabbing these? Sure. Yeah, fire away. 
Uh, here's one that comes to us from Joshua S. from YouTube. Could all of this have been avoided if they didn't kick the can? If so, when? 2020, 2015, uh, maybe 2008. Josh is essentially asking you here, what's the moment when everything went irretrievably wrong, uh, when we couldn't, that we could rewind back to and fix things? Well, I don't want to be, I want to try to be optimistic. And there's always a path that things work out just fine. And, uh, you know, I could construct that path. But if I had to go back and say, when did things get kind of nutty, it would definitely be COVID. Uh, the, you know, we at, we increased uh, total treasury debt outstanding over those COVID years by, you know, $9 trillion. It was a 50% increase in a few years. Uh, we haven't really ever seen that before uh, going back through time. And, and I think that to me is going to, be the, the point in time that we all point back to and say this this marked the end of a, an era. It, it it changed asset markets and in the economy and things forever. So in other words, we could have gotten through uh, not just the global financial crisis, but the policy solutions to the global financial crisis were it not for the response, the response to COVID. Yeah, I mean, that's my personal belief, which it gets a little bit, you know, political. But my honest belief is that we didn't stimulate um, we didn't provide enough fiscal stimulus coming out of the GFC and then we provided way too much and COVID. And so there is like, uh, you know, MMT, I think they had it right coming out of GFC and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that their policy prescriptions are right. It means that they were correct that the fed was basically pushing on a string and we needed fiscal to come in and, and push the economy along. But, Oh my gosh, what we did during COVID and the way we did it, I, I think was, um, I mean, disorderly would would be um, an understatement. Yeah, it, it sort of reminds me of the old military axiom that generals always fight the last war. You wind up overcorrecting for the mistakes that you made uh, on the backside, and you make the mistake in the opposite direction uh, the next time around. And a great question, Joshua. Really, uh, here's one from Trillion X Macro. Another great question, Warren. What do you make of the pullback in oil price? Is it an opportunity to add on that sector and commodity? I guess the the flip side of that question. Uh, or is it an index of uh, what's to come in terms of declining uh, aggregate demand? WTI on my screen right now, 75.54. Yeah, we're out of the oil trade for right now. And I um, I think that it, it's basically we're caught up in a speculative cycle when this happens in oil. I, I don't want to, I feel like you have a, a drawdown in oil like this and you have the bears that want to say, aha, this is recessionary price action, the market's broken, yada, yada, yada. And then the bulls want to say, just like what ABS over uh, the Saudi energy minister said, this is just speculators pushing the price around. And I think that the truth is, there's a lot of speculative um, unwinding based off of what didn't happen, the worst case that didn't happen in the Middle East. Um, and I also think that there is some OPEC uh, discipline issues, specifically OPEC plus with Russia, that's allowing oil to come back into the market. And so it's a multi-factor problem. I don't think the bottom is quite here yet. I mean, we, we run a model in our own indicators and, uh, you know, November's the worst month of the year seasonally to just come on the back of Mexico hedging tons of, uh, you know, billions of dollars of oil. All the dealers are short puts because of that. And so they just have a hair trigger to hedge and sell futures into any weakness. And so I don't think that we've seen the bottom yet in oil, so I'm not ready to buy it. Mm. Uh, are you are you bearish in the short term though? Not ready to buy. I mean, is that if I had, I mean, our our model yeah. is technically neutral, but if I if you had to characterize whether I think the price is going lower or higher from here, I would guess lower. 
um, in the near term. So I guess that makes me a bear, but it's not like a, it's not like a setup that I would play. I certainly wouldn't get, I don't feel comfortable getting short oil in this environment, in this geopolitical environment. And so that's, that's not really how I would express it. I would just be out of the market right now. Yeah. JB is asking a similar question. It's more bullish on energy. I think we got the broader strokes there. Is there a, a specific level that you see some potential support at, uh, in WTI, for example? Um, not really. No, I think that the way oil works is it goes to crazy levels that you wouldn't really predict. And that's what it, it's, it's a crazy, it's a, you got to have a real stomach in that market. It's totally different than the equity market. Uh, you look at shorter term things, like for instance, we look at things like the 35 day moving average versus like 200 day. A lot of people are like, Oh, you, WTI just broke its 200 day. Well, back test that it doesn't matter to to oil or the future price so you want to look at shorter term moving averages and you want to see oil start to rebuild a base on things that are you know three to five weeks out um in frequency and that's where our indicators focus so i i don't have a, a level no i i would be surprised and we look at brent i would be surprised if brent broke down below 70 but that's still 10 bucks from mm. where we're at um still you i've been surprised millions of times in the oil market yeah. Next question comes to us from Paul English. Paul English picking up on my plumbing metaphor. Uh, and he asks, so how do we unclog the drain to stop the overflow? Uh, boy, that's the $60 trillion question. Well, the, the fastest way to unclog it would be for the Fed to stop QT. Um, and that would immediately alleviate that $720 billion of annual pressure. Um, the Treasury did what they could do, which is to issue a whole bunch of bills on a rolling basis. That's another way. So it, those are those are two immediate steps to alleviate some of the pressure on the on the long term debt market that we've seen. Uh, a third way, which is probably the most unlikely way, would be to see policymakers, you know, begin to cut the deficit somewhat, and mm -hmm. uh, whether that's through higher taxes or lower spending. Um, but those would be three potential ways. The Fed ultimately will, I think, if if rates go up too much, they will kill the economy. The Fed will say inflation's dead. They'll stop QT. So you see how this thing could we we could work um, to get that down. But uh, as long as the economy remains kind of resilient, the Fed keeps pushing QT, and that hole remains large, and we live in this kind of higher for longer world. And so those are three ways I would I would say pressure can get alleviated. Warren, all we need to happen for uh, the monetary uh, problems and the fiscal problems specifically to be solved is for Congress to become functional again. Come on, that can't be that hard. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe. That's that's your bet, I guess. That's not my bet. <laughs> hey, speaking about the monetary policy side, uh, we should point out that uh, I'm looking at WALCL right now. This is the total assets, uh, less consolidations limitations from consolidations on the Fed balance sheet, uh, only declining from about 8.7% uh, down to about 7.8% where we are right now relatively small fraction, uh, and yet the challenges it's caused have been manifold, talking to your point, Warren, uh, about the QT component of this cycle. One more thing I want to pull up on the screen, because this is just such a great chart uh, from your second report. Uh, this is the 10-year Treasury yield versus market breadth. This is just an astonishing correlation. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to talk to this, because it's such a great chart. Yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing it, but I know what you're, you're referencing. And that chart to me is really the key to the markets, like we said. So what's dry, how does the, the S&P really go higher from here? You need breadth to expand. We saw a little bit of sign of that off of last week's announcement, but that's really the key ingredient to new highs on the S&P 500. And then you have to start asking yourself, what's driving breadth in the market? And it's been quite clearly rates 
And so that's what this the chart, I, I can't see it, but the 10-year versus market breadth, I think we had percentage of stocks over the 200-day. Uh, it's been tied at the hip since the second half of 2023. And days like today remind us that it's going to be with us. And so you see things like percentage of stocks over the 200-day, Russell 2000, equal weight S&P 500, all highly connected to interest rates, long-term interest rates. Yeah, I think we may have been having some technical difficulties with that chart. Uh, I will definitely tweet it out. Follow me at Ash Bennington. I'll tweet that chart out. Maybe we can get it in on the replay. Warren, always a pleasure when you join us, uh, especially a pleasure when we've got news flow on a day like today and you've got a longer term, bigger picture thesis. Really great stuff, man. Uh, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and our listeners with. It's all one big trade. You got to pay attention to the bond market if you're going to be in the stock market. That's what I that's what I'm what I'm feeling today is uh, confirming. Yeah, and during this 30-minute conversation, you've made that thesis beautifully. Warren Pies, thanks so much for joining us. Really a hell of a show. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Ash. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for watching or for listening to Real Vision Daily Briefing. Before we go, for all the Crypto Academy students, our VIP members, and Genesis NFT holders, the pre-mint is now open for the Crypto Academy Soulbound NFT. So check your email for a link to the pre-mint page. If you register before November 13th, that's four days from now, you'll be able to mint on November 15th. If you miss that cutoff, don't worry. We'll do a rolling mint in a few weeks. So go to realvision.com forward slash mint for more information. That's realvision.com forward slash mint. We'll be back on Real Vision Daily Briefing tomorrow. In the meantime, check out the Real Vision website where we share the knowledge and tools for your financial success. Have a great afternoon, everybody. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.